Samer Hamada has been involved in businesses in Dubai since moving here from Beirut in 2003. Whether it's movie productions, corporate events, nightlife or restaurants. He's been associated with much-loved venues like Republique, Stereo Arcade, and most recently, Akiba Dori. Samer tells us the inspiration behind these concepts, the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur, and what makes Dubai Design District the perfect location for Akiba Dori. Welcome to Dubai Works, a business podcast about the innovators, the products, the services, and trending topics. Loving Dubai's take on the business stories that matter. My name is Richard Fitzgerald. I'm the founder of Augustus Media, publishers of Love in Dubai, Love in Saudi, and Smashy TV. Each week, we'll be interviewing the dynamic business leaders of Dubai. Good morning, Summer. <coughs> Good morning. Thanks for coming on Dubai Works. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to have you here. Yeah, I've followed your story for the last few years, but uh, mainly what you're working on now, what you're known for at the moment, known for many things, is Akiba Dori. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that about? That is about a lot of things. That is a uh, outsider's kind of view of what a Japanese dining experience would be. I've never been to Japan, yet I open a Japanese restaurant, and most people find that incredibly odd. It is odd, I guess, um, but it's not as odd as me opening a retro nightclub when I've never really, I didn't really party in the 80s because I was a child. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was your, your the, the bar, the restaurant, uh, the nightclub in. That was Stereo Arcade. In JBR. Yeah, in JBR. So Akibadori. Um, for me was not just like a passion project and it's great to have uh, love for what you do, but there's a little bit more science to it. Um, considering where the market was at the time, uh, sort of uh, r- rough tides for the industry, I wanted something that could stand out immediately or I, there was no point in doing it. So you opened the Kibidori about a year ago in Dubai Design? Yes, or 10 or months ago. Okay. Nine nice. or 10 months ago. 10 months ago. And um, the Japanese restaurant scene in Dubai is either high end or close to just delivery only. So there was never really a middle ground, an affordable concept that was also a concept. And everything was super traditional or more Peruvian-inspired Japanese. So what I wanted to do was, I literally say this, an outsider's version of what a Japanese restaurant should be like. And for me, Japan is all about color. It's about innovation. It's about fun. It's about even adults having fun and anime and Similar to a lot of things Dubai has on offer as well. Well, of course, because this is one of the few cities where you can not really grow up if you don't want to, um, <laughs> which is great. There's so much opportunity for entertainment and fun. But with Akiba, um, first of all, the location was critical. So the reason I went to Dubai Design District was I love the people that are there, meaning the management, the people actually on the ground. Um, the rest of the restaurants were super innovative, local homegrown concepts, which I love. It's really become a vibrant, creative hub, hasn't it? And they're supportive. You know, one of the most supportive, not just landlords, but just companies I've ever dealt with, um, Dubai Design District, and the ex-CEO now, Mohammed Shahi and Amran Shah, who was the executive director. They, I mean, they got us in on the premise, and they kept um, their promises. So there was a premise of, we're going to support, we're going to do whatever, and that promise was kept, which helped me, you know, test out this little random concept. So with Akiba... I wanted to mimic what a back alley street would look like in Akihabara in Tokyo. So Akiba short for Akihabara, which is a famous street known for um, its lights, its electronic shops, and its nickname is Electric City. Now, when I develop a concept, I always romanticize it. Um, it. It doesn't always make sense, and it's not necessarily true, but the way I see it is if I was living in uh, Akihabara back in the day after the war and I wanted to buy an American product, 
that's the odds are that's where you would find it. So um, if American products were banned, you would find them somewhere in Akihabara on the street. So the best way to kind of uh, evade the authorities to have a lot of lights and neon signs and just create this cluster of lights that would confuse people. So that's kind of where the inspiration started. And I thought if I was going to bring that to Dubai and make it a little bit believable, it couldn't be believable. So I wasn't trying to go for something authentic because no one's going to buy it. We're in Dubai. We're in the Middle East. We're in the UAE. We're not in Japan. We're not in Tokyo. We're not in Okayama. So... So the challenge was, how do I make something unbelievable, even more unbelievable? Put a lot of color in it, put a fake cobblestone road in the middle, in the <laughs> middle of the restaurant, uh, build fake facades for the for the different outlets inside. So you had the arcade, you had the bar, you had the radio station, which is the DJ booth. Yeah. Um, and I tied up with a DJ in Japan who sends me mixes every week. Um, then we have the bakery and the cafe. So you're walking down the street and you have these different storefronts left and right. You can sit anywhere and order off of any of the menus. So I don't want to call it a food hall because it's not really a food hall, um, but it's... It's like a street. It's like a little alleyway, Yeah, you know, and it's cramped and it's tight, but there's seating for 100 people between inside and outside. So it actually uh, looks smaller than it is. And then the pizza elements. And then the best part <laughs> is the pizzeria. Yeah. So that's where everyone comes in for. So Tokipolitan is a sub-brand of Akibadori or actually more like a totally different brand. And even on social media, we positioned Akibadori as one thing and Tokipolitan as something else. They talk to each other but they're not the same brand. The reason for that is Tokipolitan is a brand on its own. It's Tokyo Neapolitan Pizza. So Tokyo Neapolitan Pizza, for anyone that hasn't had pizza in Tokyo, is literally taking Japanese culture, Japanese technology, and fusing it with Italian pizza. So it's 100% Neapolitan in terms of um, the classical element, but the Japanese technology comes in in three elements. The dough so our flour and our salt comes in from japan and it's incredible because it's much lighter than typical italian uh, flour and our oven runs at 500 to 550 degrees celsius there's no oven like it on the planet Um, so bakes a pizza in 45 seconds to a minute which Mm. is incredible and the third um, element is luigi so luigi is from napoli He's one of the greatest finds in my in my life, I'd say. The guy's awesome. Um, we sent him to Japan for six months to learn from a pizza, a pizzaiolo master in Tokyo. Mm. So he, he he completely forgot what he knows about pizza. And this is a guy from Napoli, from the birthplace of pizza, going to Tokyo to, to kind of <laughs> erase what he knows. So you can imagine how great of an attitude you'd have to have to be able to go somewhere and take part of your heritage and be like, I'm going to put this aside and learn something new. So... So these are the three kind of elements that make Tokipolitan incredible. And it's a standalone concept, meaning we could set up 100 of these around the world if we wanted to. Because it's super quick, um, it's super light, and it's affordable. That's the best part of it all. So that's kind of altogether what makes Akibadori what it is. There's a lot there. There's lots to unpack. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been there a couple of times, and it's very exciting. How, how, did, the, how did Dubai customers... Uh, accept it? How do they embrace it? Uh, how, what's, it what's it been like? Well, um, Japanese cuisine is one of the most popular cuisines in the UAE, specifically in Dubai. Yet, it is one of the most under um, supplied, if you will. I mean, you have so many Lebanese restaurants, so many Indian restaurants, so many burger joints, but there really aren't that many Japanese eateries. Hmm. And it helps us that we have a bar, obviously. So, our first target and um, or our first uh, customer base, our most loyal customer base, are the people that I really wanted to go after, are the D3 crowd. It's a D3 community. They're incredibly supportive. I mean, I've really never experienced anything like it. 
Um, obviously, they go to all the other restaurants in D3, just like we go to all the other restaurants in D3. So, it's, so our community has been really supportive. So it started off there. Considering who works at D3, so you have all the PR gurus of Dubai, the best, you know, all your fashion brand managers, the real true blue socialites of Dubai, not the people you just see on Instagram. I'm talking about people that have incredible networks of friends, all the interior designers, all, like I said, the PR agencies, um, a lot of the modeling agencies. So having them fall in love with the product or fall in love with the brand was better than any marketing I could have ever done. So they've told a lot of people, and I, we see them regularly. Some of them have become really close friends purely from, you know, here, try this today or try that today. So that was our first um, claim to fame or our success was the D3 community. And from there, thanks to them and telling their friends, and obviously a lot of love from the media, people such as yourself, obviously giving us all the support over the years, um, the word reached everywhere. So we went from being a predominantly lunch place to almost overnight being a big dinner place as well. Mm. So on a regular um, weekend or weekday night, you know, we'll have 100, 120 people in for dinner. Yeah. For in D3, which is which is quite an achievement. So I'm very That's proud excellent. of that. So the concept itself was unique, original, and s- seems like an excellent marriage with D3. What what uh, how did you know what uh, I think that's a hard question for an entrepreneur, but why did you take the risk? You were, you had a very successful Surrey Arcade, which is packed all the time. It's in JBR, a long way from D3. It's not a restaurant. Uh, what wh- At that time, uh, you know, you must have been coming up with this concept, 2016, 2017, and to jump in in the early last year into this. Well, uh, believe it or not, I had... Um I always develop concepts, even if I don't have locations for them. I'm just, I get an idea, I put it together as if I'm pitching it um, to my investors, to my shareholders. And with Akiba Dori, it was the other way around. So I saw that space and I fell in love with it. It was a corner unit, so much glass, ND3, um, licensed, which was a big deal for this concept, which ended up being irrelevant, I'll tell you why later. Um, so for me, it was more, what can I build here on this corner and this community that would have an impact, that would have um, an immediate differentiating factor that people would see from the street and be like, I wonder what that is in park. And that's exactly what happened. So no matter where I looked, no matter how I tried to find it, I couldn't think of a concept for that. And then randomly one day I'm on my video games and all I could imagine <laughs> was if I could just translate some of these you know, insane worlds I've, uh, I've, been, I've been living in since I was like a kid. I'm still a big gamer, unfortunately. <laughs> um, into a restaurant, what would I do? And obviously video games are not really in touch with reality. They're not meant to be. They're kind of supposed to transport you out. And this might sound a little bit philosophical and, you know, nobody goes to a restaurant for their life to change. But for me, it's about creating an experience for people. So I said, what can I do here that would you know, make me stand out and I would not compete with other people, with other restaurants, because that's not my game. I'm not trying to open the fifth pharmacy on the same road like they do in Lebanon and Beirut, where I'm from, where, oh, this guy works, so let me open another one. <laughs> and I wasn't trying to compete with the rest of the community. And to the, to the point where, you know, Yui has ramen down the road from us, and it's a great little ramen, ramen shop, and we didn't put ramen on the menu. Like, I don't, I'm not here to compete with my neighbors, yeah. you know. Um, even our pizza is Tokyo Neapolitan Pizza. No one's really doing pizza in D3, so that kind of actually worked out well. Uh, so I didn't want to tread on any toes, and I wanted something that was dramatically different to the next best thing, which is probably somewhere in DIFC. Um, so it was just one of those random moments of inspiration, and believe it or not, I cracked the concept in, like, a day. Everything, the name and 
um, the the story behind it, the history behind it, the romantic uh, storytelling behind it, which is very very critical for me. And it just started from there. And then um, I started dip, you know plugging in different elements into into the street. I say I'll do a bakery, I'll do a coffee shop, I'll do an arcade. Because me and not doing something with video games is ludicrous. Um, and then Tokipolitan, so the pizza came about, totally different story, totally unrelated. Um, one of my really close friends, Wasif, from college, um, a guy I met on a basketball court 20 years ago, we became really close friends, has been going on and on about this pizza he has in Japan for the last four years. And he keeps telling me, I want to bring this here. I'm like, dude, you're not an F&B. He's in, he's in solar energy. Okay. <laughs> you know, the guy does billion dollar deals. I'm here like, let's open a pizzeria. So, um, you know, he goes to Japan a lot. He goes to all over the world. So he's like, "Trust me, you have to. We have to do this. We have to do this." And then, um, so when I was doing a kibadori, I thought instead of putting like a, whatever a sushi counter there, why don't we put a pizzeria here? But I didn't want the pizzeria to be part of a kibadori. I wanted it to be completely different. So I created Tokipolitan, which is just really Tokyo Neapolitan pizza, okay. and it's just a name we could own which has also always been very important for me with my brands. Like, I own a Kibadori that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. I own Stereo Arcade. doesn't exist anywhere in the world. Tokipolitan is the same. Yeah. And that requires a lot of research, and a lot of it's, it's very time-intensive. So uh, Tokipolitan became its own brand uh, through Wasif. He met the Pizzaiolo in, um, in Japan, the guy who uh, ended up training Luigi. And that's how it started. So it went from a very small idea and a conversation to, hey, I'm going to build this space. Why don't you come in and... So we ended up uh, investing in the project as well, and um, obviously we raised money through um, some friends and a small group of shareholders, and yeah, and we just started building. You seem to have all the attributes that you would expect from an entrepreneur, creative, uh, can-do sort of attitudes. Uh, what about the business side, and how long have you been doing it in Dubai? What sort of things have you learned? Is that something that, have you had successes, failures, and uh, how do you approach, how do you make a success out of this competitive space? Million dollar question. <laughs> um, I always say, and, and not to be also very philosophical, but you can't own an idea. Everyone gets really upset when, oh, they're doing what I did. Someone else has done it somewhere else in the world. There's nothing new anymore. It's very difficult to find something new. And I think the more and more, um, you know, the more and more social our communities get and our societies get and globally, the less and less there is um, unique innovation. There's always someone with a twist, and I hate using the word twist on things. So I would say you can't own an idea, but you can always do it better than the next guy or the next girl. Um, the point of that is lots of people want to be the next something else, right? Uh, the next Zuma, the next Uber. Then you look at Kareem, which is a homegrown brand that never said they wanted to be the next Uber. Now Uber here are trying to be the next Kareem. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So the, it's, it's almost... That they had a different view on transport and they of course. a different view on values and everything 100%. like that. 100%. So, so with me, I would say um, starting off in advertising at BBDO in 2003, so when I was 23. and You moved to Dubai for that yeah, job? From, from yeah, from Beirut. Well, I moved because my brother had just gotten a... My brother's a pilot. Now he's a captain at Emirates. But back in the day, he was just joining Air Arabia. Out okay. of Sharjah. He's like the twelfth pilot they hired. And I, you know, I was either gonna go to New York, I really wanted to move to New York, or I'd come here. And he's like, Listen, I'm here. My parents were in Saudi. My dad was based in Saudi for a very long time. So why don't you just move to Dubai? I'm like, Yeah, why the hell not? Literally, um, halfway through my masters, I quit my masters. I didn't want to finish it. I studied English literature. Um it's more for fun than actual learning. That's a conversation for a different <laughs> time. <laughs> and I just moved out here and I didn't know what I wanted to do. 
I randomly ended up working on Syriana because I wanted to get into film. That being a director and writer was kind of my thing and or something I wanted to do. Was that, did they do some of that here? Yeah, they shot a whole oh. bunch of it here. Oh, wow. And it was a great experience. I mean, I was I was a production assistant. I literally wrangled the extras. So, you know, there's a scene I'll never forget this in my life. There was a scene where there are goats involved <laughs> or sheep, I forgot. I think it was goats and I was out in the desert and I, I had to dress up as a as a herder as a goat herder with the whole blanket and everything and uh, just call action from my from my microphone and I, w- I said the goats and myself are moving that was the call you know so I never thought I'd use those words ever <laughs> so that was kind of the experience and, and I said no to a very high paying job to take this production job which was almost free like I was making nothing and so my first offer was like 15,000 dirhams a month back in 2003 which was crazy yeah. I said no to make 5,000 off this production job just for because I really wanted to just be part of something and after that, I went to BBDO, um, and they called it from the start. I met with um, so they're a global creative agency. Yeah, they're one of the biggest uh, creative agencies in the world, and uh, they're up there with your TBWAs and your and and your Leah Burnett's. I met with the head of client servicing. I'll never forget this. His name was Alex. Now he's in Canada now, and I showed up to an interview because it was very last minute in my shorts, and I was in the desert shooting this film. So he's like, this is very unorthodox. I'm like, well, if I had my way, this is how I'd be at work. But he said, I don't feel like this is for you. You won't stick around. I said, I mean, in 10 minutes, he figured that out. I'm like, listen, honestly, <laughs> I, I mean, if I don't like it, I'm not going to stick around. I need to love what I'm doing or else I really, I'd rather do anything else. He's like, anyway, yeah, you know, no, no, no. ended up working on Dubai Holding. Um, but I launched Business Bay. That was one of my biggest uh, campaigns ever, biggest things I've ever been a part of. And um, eight months later, I resigned. I resigned because they were going to send me, or I heard that they were going to send me to BBDO University in Barcelona. And I thought that should go to someone who wants to stay in the industry instead of going to someone who's probably going to make an exit anyway. So I'm like, with all due respect, I'm not going to do this. It's not for me. And I went to a bunch of guys who did the jazz festival, Chill Out Productions. I met with Anthony Yunus, who was the managing director, and uh, three of the partners. And I basically pitched to them. I was 24. I pitched to them why I should... But they should partner up with me and set up a kind of like a sister company that does corporate events because I see that there's a lot of potential. Did I love corporate events? No. In fact, they were frustrating and difficult and payment was a disaster. But I saw a niche and a need in the market. And I like to create concepts, so it kind of worked. Mm-hmm. And uh, they agreed. I still don't believe to this day that they gave me 50% of a company. And... Um, it was wildly successful, Chill Out Corporate. I mean, I did some crazy events, um, huge, huge events. Ended up producing the Dubai Film Festival for a couple of years as well through that company. So we, we ran the whole production. I did the comedy convention, which was a huge comedy festival in 2009. And we had some people now that are, you know, doing $20, 30000000 million a year in tours in the U.S., like Sebastian Maniscalco, um, Whitney Cummings, who's written a couple of shows now. Eric Griffin, who was on Workaholics, Tom Papa, who tours with Jerry Seinfeld, uh, Tommy Davidson, Omid Jalili, who's still a very close personal friend of mine, Ahmad Ahmad, who's now in Malaysia, basically setting up the the comedy scene there. Um, so we had a lot. I had a lot of incredible comedians come out in 2009. So I love doing that part of the uh, the industry, um, which was the live events, and and then that's when something kind of clicked. That the reward for me was being kind of off stage looking at people's reactions when someone like David Gray came on stage or when Maz Jobrani came on stage or when, 
you know, John Legend came on stage. When you see that reaction from people, it it creates something. There's the, the little spark in your in your brain that that is an honest and true expression that you're about you're witnessing. What is the other thing that people love besides music? And that's food. Mm. It's really that simple. I mean, you've been to stereo arcade. Some songs come on, people start screaming. I mean, is it normal to scream when a song comes on? Probably not, but that's your reaction. So it's very honest. It's different than going to a corporate event and seeing the unveiling of a new car. Okay, great. It's a car. Like, fantastic. But is it, it doesn't invoke, I mean, maybe some people do have that. Uh, yeah. yeah. But, but <laughs> the general population can agree that music is one of the things that really, like, touches you. And the other thing would be food. And the reason food is so important in our culture is we became domesticated and we went from being nomads roaming the deserts and the mountains and the fields and chasing herds on their annual migration to settling down in villages and farms. And and that's how our race survived, right? So yes, to some extent that made us lazy, but also the idea of being in a community. And are you really friends with someone until you've had a meal with them? I don't think you can be. (laughs) Really, back in my, like back in the day, my grandfather used to say, if you if you don't invite someone to your house, they're not really your friend. Okay. Now it's more if you don't invite someone for dinner or lunch, or you don't you know, break bread or have a meal with someone, they're not really your friends. And I really started believing that. Yeah. And that's most of my Dubai friendship started over food. Yeah, that's excellent. Cool. So you went on then from Chill Out and then you went into your own businesses as well. So Chill Out, yeah. So Chill Out, that lasted for five years and around 2008, 2000, 2009. Um, so when the market, um, the event market really was suffering, um, lots of clients uh, were not paying on time. So we were, we were, I mean, it was, it, was a, it was a disaster waiting to happen. And this was literally around the subprime crisis in the U.S. So I felt like the smart thing to do was cover my bases, just shut it down and not incur any debt and, you know, owe money to suppliers or whatever, which is what I did. And... Um, I had enough money saved up to not have to worry about working for a while. I thought, let me just figure this out properly. And believe it or not, like maybe a month after I stopped that, less than a month, um, I get I get asked by Abu Dhabi Motorsports Management to come head up their events division in, on Yas Island. It's more like an events director slash consultant type of thing. And I thought, I gave them a ridiculous number. They agreed. I couldn't believe it. So I did it for a month and a half, then I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't do the corporate life no matter how much money you threw at me. And um, as fate would have it, or as luck would have it, um, driving back from Abu Dhabi one day, I get a call from a friend of mine. He's like, you still want to try that bar thing we talked about? I'm like, yeah, I mean, we just have to find the right venue with the right uh, financial terms and the commercial terms. Mm-hmm. He's like, come meet me at the Monarch Hotel at the time. This is my friend, Amir, a uh, Swedish-Iranian friend of mine. So I go to the Monarch Hotel. We're sitting in the lobby. Gentleman shows up and sits with us, and we, he takes us to this little bar around the corner called One on One, which was a cigar lounge, cigar bar, very small. He's like, okay, I'll, you know, you'll pay this much per month. We'll supply the, the staff you, that comes out of your budget, and this is your rent, and this is your deposit, and do whatever you want. So we took over that space. That was my first like nightlife experience. And the reason I wanted to do some kind of a party night or a, open a little bar is because I used to throw parties with one of my friends, Sam, who now lives, in, he went back to Beirut, old childhood friend of mine, who works for Red Bull. He runs their cultural um, division. And we used to throw parties at his house, and we used to get a couple of hundred people on weekends during the peak of the Dubai nightlife season, when there were like six clubs in the whole city, and that was it, and they were always around. We could still get people to a house 
on a Thursday night or a Friday night to do our own little parties. So I'm like, let me try to move that into a business type thing. And um, so we took over this place called One on One at the Monarch, me and Amir. And uh, I thought I'd do an 80s and 90s night or like a 90s, 2000s night on a Thursday. And he'll do an 80s night on a Friday. We kind of divided and conquered because he has his 80s crowd and he knows the 80s stuff. And I know my 90s and my 2000s. I couldn't find a single DJ to play the music that I wanted. They were all like, no, we'll play a techno, we'll play house. That was, Dubai was headed towards the house direction. Hmm. So, this also, is in about 2010 or 2009. So. Okay. so I called up a guy called Godfrey who I used to rent equipment from for all my events. Uh, he had a huge company, I, saw, I think he still has it. And I'm like, can I rent equipment from you? And he said, sure, what's it for? I'm like, for a little bar. He's like, oh, it's for you. I'm not gonna charge you anything. I'm like, okay, cool. So he just sent me like a, a mixer and a, and a CD player and whatever. And then two, two guys called Rami and Joe, who I think you should probably meet at one point in time, um, had just set up a company called Pulse. And it was a very small little audiovisual supply company. So I, I was one of their first customers. I bought a bunch of Pioneer speakers that were secondhand for like 30,000 dirhams. And that was when my first mini club was born. I couldn't find a DJ to play music for, on Thursday, so I learned how to DJ. When I say I learned, I mean, I was horrible at it, but my music <laughs> selection was good. So this place went, I mean, we opened, um, it was like three months before Ramadan, I'll never forget. And uh, it was crazy. I mean, we were do- the numbers we were doing, like I would cover rent um, in like an hour for the whole month. That's how well it was doing. We only had five tables in the whole place. I was DJing, playing whatever the heck I wanted. It was a- an incredible experience for me. So I thought I need to do a nightlife. I know it, I love it. People seem to trust my taste in music and what I'm doing. So I'm like, maybe I can just find a way to connect the dots. So again, you learn the hard way. Three months later, the owners of the hotel, the owners of the building kicked out the management company from Kuwait and they took over the building. So since we didn't have an official lease with the owners, we only had it with the hotel, we got kicked out with it. So it was a very like big slap in the face and they still have our deposits and we didn't really cover our bases with lawyers because we were kids. We're like, who the hell, who who goes and talks to lawyers? You know, Hmm. 26, 27. Um, anyway, so that would, that just disappeared. And then, um, I wanted to do something. I was itching to do something bigger. And that's when Republic came about. I don't know if you were around for those days. Address Dubai Mall, right next to Bloomingdale's. Um, and I had just moved into the hotel, into the address. I was living there for a couple of years. And I met the general manager. And again, Amir, my, who was my partner on, uh, in one-on-one. We said, why don't we do this thing? And I was very close to a guy called Rida Arad, who's TBWA Arad. He's a, he's, he's, he basically runs this show. It's his company. I said, why don't we do a little concept together? So I had this name in mind, which was inspired by a Star Wars game called Knights of the Old Republic on my Xbox. Mm-hmm. So Republic, but it was Republique in French. And Rida, since he had TBWA, and they had some crazy creative you know, copywriters and art directors in there. They created an amazing brand identity for me, like yeah. something like till now when I think about it, I'm like, it's just spectacular what we did. Um, so Republic was the first like true blue brand that I worked on where I knew exactly what I wanted. I knew what the brown should sound like, look like, what we were trying to do. And the entire focus, and I'm, I'm saying we never strayed from that focus, was music. So we even had a blog on Tumblr. And if you go there now, there are hundreds of pages of just music links and quotes and uh, music videos and live concerts or whatever. So we were very, we're very, very much into that. And our, we even had a tagline, which clubs didn't have at the time, which was music makes us equal. 
So the idea is I wanted to create a club which was more of an environment for people to come in and have a great time and not feel like they need to spend X amount of money to be welcome here. And that's how it started. And um, it was incredibly successful. Ran for two years. And then um, they wanted to increase our rent. And for me, it didn't make sense in that market. So this was around 2009, 2010, 11. Yeah. And so we ended up closing it um, after two years, two very successful years. And uh, I didn't do anything for a year after that, working on Stereo Arcade. And Stereo Arcade was an, another huge success. What I'm kind of getting a sense of is that uh, y you go from project to project, learn, don't make too many mistakes, yeah. but and then make them successful. And so it's 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 really kind of interesting, sort of Dubai entrepreneurial mindset. And you've evolved kind of with the city as well and the different trends. Of course, I mean, like I'm a Lebanese guy who moved here when he was 23, and um, you know, with my kind of uh, you know, Those opportunities mightn't necessarily have been in for you in Lebanon. Oh, forget time. it. Lebanon is impossible. I mean, I you know I come from a big political family, and my dad, one of the first things he said to me is, "I'm not making any phone calls. You want to do something, you got to figure it out." Wow. So I was never like, "Oh, I'll call dad and hook me up." This was literally how I was brought up. So I couldn't do things the way they do things in Lebanon. I wasn't willing to ask people for favors, and why? I know what I'm doing. Why should I call a guy up to open a door for me? If I can't open it for myself, I'd rather say shut. That's literally how I think. So um, Dubai gave me an opportunity, and um, I, I don't think I could have had this anywhere else, really, um, to that level. I mean, a, you know, a kid running a, a multimillion-dollar business when he was in his late 20s in Dubai and not, not a tech company and not online, was not, it's, not an easy, it's not an easy task, obviously. And I was surrounded by really great people, and... Um, I always had people working with me who were better than me at all the, you know, the important stuff, the business part. You know, I like to create. Hmm. I'm not the guy that's going to sit down and 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 uh, and balance, you know, uh, bank accounts and stuff. So, um, you know, obviously there's been a lot of learning along the way. I, I've messed a lot of things up, obviously, that I should have done better. Um, this is a fact of life, and you know, there's no denying it, and I would never deny it. I, I would say. Um, there's no place for ego in business and any business and the most successful people I've ever met don't care. They don't care about opinions. And I, I always say this, if someone can, if someone's opinion, you know, is, is cashable, I'm happy to listen. But until that's a fact of life that you can mm -hmm. actually cash someone's opinion. And you just get on with it. It doesn't matter. You know, you let either you let your integrity speak for itself or you let other people, other people speak for you. Um, I learned a lot along the way about you know choosing the right shareholders, um, about agreements, the importance of having a really good lawyer, um, the importance of having people who share your vision and believe in what you're doing. Because at the end of the day, you know some people invest in a project because it's just sexy from a financial perspective. Some people invest in it because it's an ego thing, mm. really. And this is what I found. And and now the group of investors I have with me are really thinking the same way I'm thinking. We're trying to build something here. And you're just expanding Akiba now outside of Dubai, et cetera. Yeah, so that was always the plan. I mean, I designed this to be an eye-catching brand and something that, again, I have ownership over, meaning I can direct its growth. And um, the great thing about having so many partners for lawyers is they're very protective over the IP and they give me the best advice money can't even buy. So. The objective was to always take it outside of Dubai. And the reason for that is um, Dubai is where you want to be because the PR value on Dubai is global. 
the brands. It's yeah. global. You might have an, a much more successful restaurant in Khubar in Saudi Arabia or in Jeddah or in Riyadh. You might have a, you know, even more successful restaurant concept in Singapore. But the amount of global exposure you get out of Dubai is second to none. There's really no contest, okay? So, we, do, you know, literally the Dubai brand being here has opened up tremendous amounts of doors for us because these people wouldn't have, they wouldn't have come here if Dubai wasn't so popular. They wouldn't have heard of us. No one's going to come to you and say, I want to bring your brand to another country off of social media. They used to do that in the 80s, maybe not off social media, but off of magazines or ads on TV. But now they want to come experience your brand. So we got a lot of people from Saudi coming in. Um, and they've all been like harassing us to come do something. And uh, we got three or four different groups now we're talking to about a potential collaboration. And it'll be a joint venture. So I don't want to franchise my brand. I want to have control over it. Yeah. Um, so we're going. I'm actually going to Jeddah next week to meet with a bunch of guys, uh, really nice guys who actually flew out twice. Um, first time without me knowing. Second time, um, we sat and we had dinner together, and they saw the place in action at night in Dubai Design District. And I'm sure their brains were thinking, if this concept can bring in a couple of hundred people on a th on a Friday night into D3, into an area with no residential, what could it do in a great location in Jeddah? Yeah, interesting. So yeah, I'm going to go hopefully sign that, and then we're looking at uh, two potentials in Riyadh as well. Amazing. This, is, this, your story and your innovation and entrepreneurial story, I'm sure we haven't heard the last. <laughs> and uh, it's been fascinating chatting. It'd be good to have you, to you on again in, in another 10 months. For sure. And I'm sure See where we are will then. have happened. But it's been brilliant, Samer. Thanks for Thank that. Thank you really so much. Thanks it. for your time. Thank I appreciate you. it. <laughs> Cheers, man.